We stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies, and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest audio version of AB Live. And back again for the time being, able to provide a more or less standard AB Live intro with a cray-cray past couple of weeks. These disruptions included a YouTube suspension, getting cancelled cultured by a guest, kids with COVID, general holiday mayhem, and getting the Gnostic Tarot deck project off the ground. But we do what we can, and we roll with the Archon punches. Needless to say, head over to my new Rumble channel and the old Rockfin channel, because who knows how long I'll be allowed on YouTube and Facebook. But as Soul to Soul sang, back to life, back to reality. So it's always an honor and a pleasure when Tobias Churton graces the virtual Alexandria. He will discuss his new book, The First Alchemist, The Spiritual and Practical Origins of the Noble and Holy Art. Beyond a deep dive into Zosimus of Panopolis and his Gnostic pedigree, we'll cover other ancient alchemists like Mary the Jewish and Cleopatra. You can count on us dealing with spiritual alchemy and Jung's insights. So get ready to find your outer and inner philosopher's stone. Please support if you find any value in this content. The Gnostic revelation is more important than ever, and I can't do it without you. I am grateful for those of you who come through every week. It is not hard to contribute. For example, you can simply pledge a few dollars a month on my Patreon. One-time donations are also really appreciated. It really helps and I can use all the help, as we all do. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. The divine does not reach out to us from a cosmic beyond. It breathes from within. 
Our souls are secret entities which nest inside our skin. If the body shells the soul, and the soul is divine ground, then God is earth, God is us, God is all around. Welcome everybody to Ayambide. Welcome on this Saturn day to our live stream. So good to see everybody. And uh, yes, not only are we streaming through YouTube, but we're also streaming through Rumble and Rockfin. So check it out. In fact, go there and subscribe because YouTube has been in a very censoring mood lately. Uh, even as Tobias and I were talking, I guess I just gave away the spoiler of our guest. Uh, when you start talking the truth, the archons will come down on it, and they've been doing that, especially in the major platforms like Facebook and YouTube, just not liking a lot of the stuff, but so it is today. So, But without further ado, uh, Tobias, it's been, as the song goes, it's been a long time since we rock and roll. How are you? And thanks for coming back. Well, I'm, I'm okay. Coping, as so many are these days, I... I <clears throat> I won't go on about my story. I'm sure that everyone's got a story of how they're coping. But uh, yes, these aren't the greatest times to be living in in some ways, but they're the only times we are going to be living in at this time. So we better make the best of it. Yeah. As Philip K. Dick said, if you think our universe is bad, you should see some of the other ones. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> good old, good old Philip K. Dick. Yes. Or oh, as Voltaire said, one time somebody came to him and said, "Life isn't fair," and he was like, "Compared to what?" This is all <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it is good to see you here, and I'm sorry for the challenges. Yes, we've all been having challenges. Uh, I have a friend who's a doctor, and we were chatting, and he says, "In the latest strain of the." disease the, of the virus that's going around <laughs> one of the side effects is pink eye lo oh. and behold this morning all three of my kids woke up with pink eye so oh. i was worried i'd have to be like Corey hart and have to wear sunglasses in the show but it hasn't hit me yet so i'm glad i'm grateful right now i'm healthy <laughs> right I, i'm very glad too i hadn't heard <laughs> that one yeah yeah he just um he just told me that's what he's been seeing in his uh clinic so uh, what a world. Well, Vance, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad, considering I like I'm juggling three live streams now and trying to get into the chat and so forth and need some alchemical magic to get it all to hang together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Technology was supposed to save us, and it just makes things more complicated. <laughs> Every advancement we make, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, it didn't remove the cross. It just lit it up and made it. You know, full of microprocessors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but as Tobias was saying, uh, with the digital age, England and the United States can communicate, or what's right. the famous saying? Yeah. Uh, uh, England and the USA, two countries divided by one language. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to do all right there, don't we, Miguel? We, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we talk the language, and the language is Gnosis and our interest in Gnosticism. So Tobias is today is here today to talk about his new book, which I really enjoyed. Goes deep into the history of alchemy, the essence, the possibilities, so much gnosis. The book is the first alchemist: the spiritual and practical origins of the noble and holy art. 
and we will be talking about that on this Saturday. If you have any questions, please super chat them uh, so we can separate them. We'll try to get to them. If you're on Rockfin and you donate or Rumble, we'll do our best. Please be patient. Uh, again, a lot of ships lately with the censorship, so we're trying to pivot where we can get the show out to everybody in a fair way, and you can get your gnosis. So I guess, Tobias, uh, tell us about uh, why you decide to write this book, and I love your Gnostic insights in it. Well, <clears throat> The First Alchemists is my way of dealing with a problem I've had for years, which, and I remember you asking me many, many years ago, you know, what were the alchemists doing in Egypt? And I remember coming up with some lines about temples and, and, and smoke coming out of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and all this. And I always felt embarrassed looking back that I, I really, I wasn't really sure what alchemy was because I started my search into alchemy, unfortunately, with Carl Jung's book, uh, Psychology and Alchemy, mm -hmm. uh, first uh, appeared in 1943 in Switzerland. And uh, Carl Jung, I give him enormous credit as a man who saved psychology from Freud. <laughs> but <laughs> when it came to alchemy, he... he his way of justifying the existence of alchemy uh, seemed to me to, to, to take us into territory, which confused the issue. I mean, and alchemy was already confused because my, if you look at an encyclopedia definition of alchemy, it will say the ancient science uh, aiming to transmute base metals into gold. That, mm -hmm. You'll find that in, in, in every textbook definition. Yeah. Uh, and then you had... Uh, Jung saying, well, actually, really, it was a projection of people's spiritual experiences. And other people have written since that alchemy was really a form of Gnosticism, i.e. <clears throat> through practicing a bit of chemistry, you'd kind of have Gnostic insights and, and develop a kind of, you could move from the leaden state of material consciousness to a golden state of spiritual consciousness. I, over the years, I, this, this kind of confusion I thought, my God, we've, we've littered the world with a confused idea of what we're talking about. So I thought, damn it, I'm going to go back to the beginning, investigate what alchemy actually is from the earliest documents and see what happened. And uh, it's been a work. I, I couldn't have written this particular book if I hadn't done all the other work in the past in a way, mm -hmm. um, because I, I had to get through so many illusions and concepts that people have about alchemy. And I'm sure you have them, Miguel. And no, no offense, I'm sure you, I hope when you read the book, you began to say, mm, oh yeah, well, maybe I'd missed the point there, you know, because I felt, <laughs> I was feeling yeah. that when I did the, 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 the deeper research. So, so the book is, is to find out what we're really talking about. The first thing we got to say, let's put this straight to people, is the word alchemy is in many ways, a total misnomer. It's by using the word alchemy as opposed to chemistry, uh, we have mythologized what alchemy actually is. Alchemia is simply the Arabic for the Greek, kumia or chemia, which is the old word used in the first centuries of the um, Christian era for metallurgical chemistry. And what we're really talking about, the origins of this thing, is metallurgical chemistry. They were making dyes. They were making dyes 
uh, to give the appearance of gold or the appearance of silver or the appearance of lapis lazuli or uh, to make little stones look like emeralds or little stones look like diamonds or, or little stones. That's what we're talking about. It is a technique for changing the appearance of ordinary things for the artistic or perhaps votive religious reasons. That's what it's about. It's, it's about recipes for making dyes. And that's what we, that is it. And that was called at that time, kimia or kumia. It varied, which seems to, as far as I can tell from all the evidence, we're talking about the art of roasting or the art of heat. We're mm. talking about things that go black because of heat. If you leave something on the, on your cooker long enough, it goes black or, you know, overheat something, you get carbon. That's what we're talking about. It's the art of, car you know, to, to, to reduce things to carbon or to apply heat. And that's the, anyone who, who first goes to school and does chemistry, the first thing you've got in front of you, I presume, is a Bunsen burner. And you're about, <laughs> you're going to heat some stuff. And the teacher will give you a little bit of manganese and go, woof. And it's really, when you're 11 years old, that's really remarkable. And you think, oh, I like chemistry. You know, you can have some fun with this. So it, that, it's the art of roasting, the art of heat. Uh, that's what the word means. And that's the origin of chemistry. What happens to substances when you heat them up? Or indeed, you could extend that. What happens to people when you heat them up? Um, <laughs> burnt we, offerings. <laughs> burnt offerings. Or, I was actually thinking of the way people are overexcited by the media. I mean, we have this expression, don't we, when the heat is on. When no, no. On. You know, when the heat is on, people's psychology changes. And when the heat is on a, a material substance, they change. And our ancestors were fascinated by these changes that were wrought by the action of heat. And I don't think it's any, any accident that this art um, manifested in Upper Egypt, where uh, heat was um, freely available, <laughs> as it, yeah. it is today. And yeah, okay, I'll, I, I'll stop there for a minute and give you a chance for another question. Do you get, do you, so what I, I wanted to do was to isolate exactly what we're really talking about rather than talking about elixirs of life, philosophers of stones, and the idea that it's you know inherently magical or it's an abstract spiritual uh, pro process. No, no, that makes sense. That's its origins. And of course, uh, I love how you notice in your book uh, from the gospel of uh, Philip, God is a dyer and he's dying things. So that, yeah. that's alchemical. And of course, then you mentioned more spiritual alchemy and gospel of Thomas, the inner and the outer and the male and the female. Yeah, this so is the great question. Did, did these... Uh... Now, one of the really amazing things that became apparent in my research was that the Gnostic Gospels, so-called, uh, the, the writings of Nag Hammadi, uh, were discovered in exactly the same region of Egypt as the earliest alchemical manuscripts. No way. And, if, and when I say the uh, re region, I'm talking about a region that's not much bigger than Chicago and its environs. Mm -hmm. So, And they're from the same period. And, of course, you, you, you can't help but ask the question, did the, uh, did the chemical ideas affect this discourse about spiritual changes and the and the liberation of the pneuma the divine spirit or did the uh philosophy of the liberation of the pneuma the spirit uh in i was going to say infect or <laughs> impact, <laughs> Im, impact upon uh 
an, what was in fact an industrial process. And I, I, it, it seems to me there is a symbiosis that in fact both things are happening. That the, the development of this tech, technology, especially around the city of Panopolis, uh, today's Akmim, which is still a textile making center as it was in late Roman Empire, fascinatingly enough, um, was, was, were the people who were doing the, the, chemi the chemistry for industrial and commercial reasons to make objects and, and that look glowing and wonderful and, and highly expensive um, and, and attractive and, and commercial. Um, were they impacting on religious ideas? It seems to me what you've got is a common culture that could only happen in Upper Egypt. And that, that was really fascinating. And you, you then begin to wonder why Jean Dures, one of the first writers on the, on the Nag Hammadi Library and the Gnostic Gospels, referred to the Egyptian Gnostics. Mm -hmm. And I think that idea that these were Egyptian Gnostics is a good one. Even you can argue about what did they mean by Gnostic and all the rest of it. But I think this is a, uh, this is a, a phenomenon stretching from Upper Egypt, Akmim, to Alexandria, which is where you would take your goods to sell. And to trace what I discovered in the book and the research was in fact a minor, oh, a minor, major industrial revolution going on in Egypt and that this has a, a religious impact. It's, I, I, that, that connection between an industrial explosion and a consciousness explosion uh, manifests in the very, very poor evidence we have of that time that's left. I think people overestimate what we know. I'm not going to overestimate. What we know is precious, but it indicates that there was something going on between religion and industry. And when did this uh, revolution start? Are you talking BC yeah, for the we, audience? I think the key, yeah, for the audience, the, the key thing, I was amazed again, many things that occurred to me during, I mean, I don't know when you think, when, when, do, when would you, well, you've read the book, so you'll know the answer, but I wonder when people imagine that glass blowing uh, was invented or developed, you know, blowing, being able to, make a long glass vessel with a sealed end and as a vessel when when do people think that came about i i'd say since i haven't read your book uh the middle ages let's say no, 1500 no. right good 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 guess except totally wrong um yeah, <laughs> the, the earliest the earliest evidence we have was discovered in the 60s in jerusalem and they found, yeah and it was uh, apparently jewish um, glassmakers working in the first century BC. In other words, the time of King Herod, who we've all heard about, and uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra. In other words, the the late latish first century BC. Uh, you know, a, a few decades before the birth of Christ. So you have that. I think revolutionized what was already in existence in terms of metallurgical chemistry, because certain reactions can only happen uh, in glass because glass doesn't impact on the chemical reaction. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you use lead vessels and so on, the lead in the vessel or the iron in the vessel, or if you're using a copper vessel would change the nature of the chemical reaction as anyone who knows chemistry will tell you, but, but glass allows certain, chemical reactions to take place. So I think that the, the great impulse 
was the presence of Jewish um, uh, metallurgists in Egypt and their knowledge and their mythology and their, their culture uh, spread very fast. So by the time you get to the greatest known exponent of the art is Zosimos of Panopolis. We're back in Akmim again. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jung wrote about Zosimos. I think he misunderstood him completely. Um, but um, Zosimos really knows his, his chemical onions. And he's fascinating because he not only uh, it sees it as a technological um, challenge and an opportunity for people to get rich out of this knowledge, but he also sees the spiritual, a spiritual analogy. He sees the idea of the alchemist only really benefiting from this practice if they understand that they're observing the divine God's way of dealing with the universe itself. In other words, he's glimpsed that chemical reactions is the essence of the divine creation. And he applies that analogy to the development of the soul. And he's very familiar. He's a wonderful, wonderful man, this Sosimus. The name means survivor. His name means survivor. And he, he is very familiar with the Hermetic writings of Her Hermes Trismegistus. And he, he applies this Hermetic knowledge, but also Jewish biblical knowledge, to what he's doing. And this combination of this syncretic combination of some Christian ideas, some Gnostic ideas, some straight hermetic ideas, plus technolo technological ideas in one man's approach to chemistry, metallurgical chemistry, is unique and totally changes in historically the development of the art. And, and so I, I, to rediscover this this lost figure, in many ways lost figure, Zothimus of Panopolis is another of the great, um, the great discoveries that I made while investigating this. Yeah, it's wonderful, your passages. But at the same time, uh, you talking about his uh, worldview, how did Jung, would you say, misrepresent him? Because a lot of his cosmology is straight up Gnostic. I mean, it's almost like uh, he's got the secret book of John in front of him. He's got the book of Enoch. You know, where does science come from? As you say, it came from, came from rogue angels. Well, so he does have a very Gnostic worldview, as syncretic as he is. You're talking Zosimus, uh, not yeah. Jung. <laughs> you could have been yeah, talking I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, no, talking about yeah, Jung did not have the secret book of John. No, Jung, <laughs> Jung, Jung got it wrong because he, 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 he uh, for example, as a Simus wrote uh, uh, some fascinating passages where he, ha he he creates a scenario where he's writing to his female contact, Theo Sabaya, and he says that uh, he, he had a dream and that in the dream uh, a priest was slain and, 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 and um, his skin was ripped off and he went there, all this stuff. What he's describing is chemical processes as the processes that could happen, you could imagine happening to an individual. Now, Jung took these passages as being the records of actual dreams. And of course, being a psychologist in the originally the Freudian school, he thought that, uh, that Zosimus was revealing his unconscious. And he then develops this whole idea within psychology and alchemy that, that the alchemists were sort of in some way fooled by their own psychology, i.e. they projected their unconscious constituents onto chemical processes and were so fascinated that that was what they were doing. Well, I think this is nonsense. 
uh, Sir Simus knew exactly what he was doing when he, he used a, a common convention of the time, which is to express ideas in terms of a story of a dream. If you remember the first part of the Corpus Hermeticum, Libellus I, of when we first introduced to Hermes Trismegistus and his encounter with Poimandries, or Poimenandries, as, as Sir Simus calls him, interestingly, uh, it's in the process of a dream. Hermes goes to sleep after, as he says, as if he'd had a, a big meal and drunk some wine. He goes to sleep, and in this, that state, he sees the sovereign mind appears to him, greater than any universe, who then explains how the universe came to being and his place in it. Zosimus is using exactly the same kind of idea. He's using the dreams as a, as a teaching method. Uh, Jung's problem was that he saw these dreams as the first recorded, you know, analytical dreams in ancient <laughs> world. And that was great for him because he had something to write about dreams. And unfortunately, he then applied to Zosimus his own psychological ideas. And I think in doing that, he did a great disservice. And he, he even says things like the alchemists really didn't know what they were looking at because they were overwhelmed by their, their, their unconscious archetypes mm. and the archetypes took over. Well, it, I don't think that's true at all. I think Zosimus was a highly canny and brilliant uh, technician. And uh, he, he, while he was trying to say to Theo Sabaya, look, there's a lot more to this chemistry than, we, we, than meets the eye. And it should be a means by which we develop as individuals. And we should see it as a holy art because it comes from God. He, you know, he brings this whole stuff from the book of Enoch into it. He says that, uh, look, this knowledge of, of chemistry was actually brought to mankind by wicked angels. You know, your proto-archons, uh, the wicked angels of the book of Enoch, have brought this knowledge, but while they perverted it and gave it to the priests and, and, and the world as, as a power, which they'd stolen from heaven, nevertheless, the essence of the art came from heaven. And for that reason, uh, Zosimus says it is holy and must be respected. So he doesn't reject it because the means of transmission, he accepts that the means of transmission were these wicked angels. But he says, but we can use this to reascend to the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the spirit. So you have that Gnostic ascension dimension Again, now he and he also he's terribly inspired by a wonderful Jewish woman called uh, uh, Mariam or Maria, we would say in, in the Western uh, dialect, uh, Maria the prophetess. Uh, she's called the prophetess by many late, much later writers because she's, she's quoted by Zosimus as saying that everything she learned about alchemy, she learned from God. So she thought that by t teaching the, the processes of metallurgical chemistry, she was expounding a divine revelation. And this also affects the whole dimension of the way uh, alchemy is treated in later, later years, especially by theologians, monks, religious men, and probably people like yourself and me too, Miguel, uh, which is we, 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 we land on the idea that it's a symbolic system for the improvement and, and dimension of spiritual growth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, all this is happening in the fourth century, which is a period of extraordinary turmoil in Egypt, Egyptian history. And uh, to recover that evidence and put it in geographically and 
archaeologically in the right place was was the thrill of the book and when i reread it um uh, rec- in the last couple of months um and not having read it for quite a while i i was really struck that i think we have hit gold you know <laughs> We've got chemical gold. We've got, yes, yes. I think we got, we we got we got now a path to really understanding alchemy, which I felt was always lacking, which was a practical and sensible, rational story, as opposed to too much uh, symbolism. No, no, it's a, it's a great job, especially it's wonderful to see the atmosphere and uh, the backdrop of what's happening. And it doesn't matter whether it's mystical or sociopolitical, like you, you, we just talked about how it rose from Egypt, but also you talk about, well, how did it become so popular in Greco-Roman times? And you start talking about more guilds were coming and there was more information and more things pa- being passed down, right? So everything... The soil was fertile for this alchemical explosion. Yeah, well, you know, fire. You know, I, uh, I'm what I'm getting from uh, and it's amazing um, root description of all this, uh, Tobias. I think it's great. Um, fire transforms things, right? And yet, fire was also representative of the spirit, to even to ancient people. So, could that be a tie-in? Just yeah, oh, for sure. No, no fire, question. Fire everything together. Well, you know, one of the weird things is if you look at the earliest um, drawings of alchemical, um, or I'd say really chemical uh, equipment, the word for fire in, in the Greek is photis, which is light. <laughs> so there was already, even in the language, even in the linguistics, the idea of fire is light. Now, if you, I don't know if you're aware that. Uh, it was a common Gnostic idea in the in the first centuries of the Roman uh, Christian Roman period uh, that the Gnostics believed that the first man, the first man, was called Phos, which means light. Mm-hmm. That's ah. his distinctive <clears throat> identity. So, light, fire. You know, the word for spirit in 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 uh, in in, in Kabbalah Shin, the letter Shin, is uh, understood as a fire sign. This is this is the spirit. So yeah, spirit, light, fire, transformation. Yeah, you exactly. could hardly not look at an alchemical furnace, see see uh, processes whereby distillation. I think is the key thing. Maria the prophetess wrote a lot about distillation and developed various kinds of distillation apparatus. In distillation, you, you see the essence of religion. In distillation, you take a, a, what appears to be a solid, or what she would say a male, and uh, through combination with what she call a female, which would be what we call incorporeal substances, meaning not as solid as tin, lead, gold, you then create a vapor which goes up your glass vessel, invisible like the spirit rising and then manifesting on what they called the kerotarchus at the top which was which was a vessel in which the distillation would take place and you see a new substance now if paul had known about this he wouldn't have talked about the spirit you know he talks about the seed going into the soil coming off a tree and it appears to die and then you get a new tree and he uses an analogy of resurrection uh, alchemy provides a much more vivid 
idea of ascension and reconstitution. So you have the, the, the typology there of the whole, what is called the apocatastasis, which is the resumption of the divine nature of man on a higher level. So in the world, he's, he's, he's corrupt, but through purification, through the process of fire and the presence of light, this, uh, the male and female are joined, to use Maria's typology, which you also find in the Gospel of Thomas, unless the male and the female, you know, right. rises through thing and becomes a new thing. Now, look at your Acts, Acts of the Apostles, early chapter. Uh, chapter one, where Jesus, the ascension, what is it? Yeah, a cloud removes him from their sight. Now, you, if you know your Gnostic symbology, the cloud is the body. So the corporeal nature of the disciples are unable to understand what's happening. But meanwhile, Jesus is apparently rising. Uh, you'll have to read my next book to, to the answer to where he rose from, but that's another, another issue. But he apparently rises, right? And it's a cloud that removes the sight. We're, we're talking about the vaporization of the Messiah here and his reconstitution at the right hand of God, whereby he will come to judge the quick and the dead. Alchemy gives you not only uh, the, the, the symbolism, it gives you the actual process. You know, what is incredible, I, I found when I was studying this was what, why has it taken this long to get the idea? Where did this notion of, of, of a body rising, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's it, there. You can, they, they could watch this. They could see this happening and the transformation of substance into a more beautiful or more effective or more valuable substance. So the analogy of alchemy was also its pitfall because unfortunately the analogy takes over. So by the time, we get to the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, it's the analogy of the industrial process that becomes uh, the only significance. It, it's all about rising to a higher level. And they've, they've lost the, the contact with industrial process. And that comes back, of course, in the, in the 17th and 18th century when you get the emergence of what we call modern science or modern chemistry. And then uh, the actual process itself is starting to be studied again. But it, it would be a great mistake to think that the early practitioners were not, in fact, there. They, the early practitioners are interesting, especially two or three of the Zosimus. There was also an Egyptian woman called Cleopatra. And it's very interesting. The, the female role is very strong in this. As you would expect in a, con in a context of, 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 of textile manufacture and uh, ornamental manufacture, the women are important. All these processes were called recipes. Again, we're into cooking. You know? Right. Yeah. right. I like uh, you know, John Lennon would say in the studio, well, now we're cooking. That's the alchemy. <laughs> That's the alchemy starting to happen. And we are talking about cooking. As I say, it's the art of heat. What about alcohol, though? Did they distill well, alcohol? alcohol? Alcohol is an Arabic word for exa exactly that. Alcohol is, is, is straight uh, chemistry. Yeah. As, as, as of course it is. What else would it be? You know, and producing, you know, spirits. Spirits, the very spirits, word. See? Yeah. See? 
Where, That's where what it's that going for. From? Where's that? I've got this silly bit of stuff on my thing. It's it's, it's attached. It's really annoying me. It's, it's oh, I just know. Yeah, I didn't know. I know, but uh, it, it, some people say, "Bloody hell!" I, I, I don't mind listening to Mr. Churton, but I can't stand to see that silly. Bit of <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, yes, of course you've got spirits. Everyone buys a bottle of spirits. But how right. many people realize that it's called a spirit because of, of the, the chemical and alchemical background? Alcohol, of course, is an, is an Arabic word. Um, al is just Arabic for the, you know, the definite article. So alchemy, the chemistry, that's all it means. All it means. Alchemy is, is the chemistry. That's what it means. The, the, the confusion comes because al is also the Semitic root for the word God. <laughs> <laughs> who is, of course, the the great definite article. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, talk Delightful. about cooking. I can hear it. I can see it now. The the reboot of Breaking Bad with Mary the Prophetess instead. Yes. Time, or something like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As in most of the books I write, there's a movie in there for anyone with imagination. You know? Yeah, 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 indeed. And But Tobias, <laughs> this idea of, the the spiritual or the process of individuation or rising up to the spheres when people are going well is it spiritual or not is that sort of a uh red herring because if some have said and i, I don't know if we've discussed it but when we're talking about the consciousness of ancient man everything was spiritual whether if you were t tilling the soil the gods were with you if you were as I said, if you were going to war with another country, it wasn't you fighting. It was the gods on top kind of moving the pieces. Everything to ancient man had to include the gods, right? There was no, there was no separation of state and religion, yeah, I, if you know what I mean. I think that's one of the, the, the really important um, legacies of the whole history of alchemy, which science chooses not to understand in general. And religion chooses not to understand it. It's, it's, it's in the hinterland with our Gnostic aliens. Um, is that, of course, to the first century or second or third century Egyptian chemist, uh, there is no fundamental distinction between matter and spirit. It's not a fundamental. The, the, mat the matter comes from the spirit and relates to it and responds to it. And, and what happens on Earth is of, is of import. They were aware there was a higher level than the level that human beings are stuck with. But that's not a complete sundering. Now, unfortunately, in our world, we have completely sundered since Descartes, <clears throat> uh, at least. We've, we've said the spiritual really is such a separate dimension, we don't even need to consider it as science. Um, and, and the spiritual person has said, well, I don't really want to consider science. So you have, you know, you have this duality in the world today of people who are either think they're all spiritual or they're all material. I'm a material girl and all that. And, uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, the, the, there, there is an unus, in, in alchemy, there is an unus mundus. There's one, it's one world. You know, you can't separate uh, matter and spirit. And uh, one of the tragedies of the late Roman Empire was the development of what's called encretism, from which all our churches suffer the right. effect of, which is that the body is the enemy. 
and it must be fled from. And because sex is based on the body, the flesh, and so on, that's the road by which man is tempted into hell. And uh, if we can separate ourselves from it, then we have a better chance of getting to heaven. I mean, this is basic dualism. You can even take it further than that, as I think the, you know, the Cathars and, and the Manichaeans did, which is there's an ontological separation, absolute separation between matter and spirit. But in the alchemical process, you, you have, a, you have a, a constant interplay of mind and matter. And that's very much a characteristic of the hermetic writings, which I know you like very much. Yeah, indeed. But but it's more of, I mean, we're not talking pantheism. It's more, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's more of the idea of uh, correspondence and as above, so below. What I do on earth is reflected on heaven and vice versa. We're all working together, if you know what I mean. Gods, humans, nobody's more important. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, other, otherwise you'd have to say that... Um, uh, God, uh, you know, well, you'd have to be with the radical Gnostics, I suppose, the Apocryphon of John, and say that the creation was an abortion. You know, it was an unfortunate, uh, by, you know, it's an unfortunate accident or, um, you know, perversion. It, do we really believe that? Now, I know there are some people who probably think, well, yeah, yeah, must be. Must be. <laughs> My car won't start, and I'm having a bad day. This if, is a nightmare. <laughs> were, were, it, were it the case, I would say, well, where then would you, in, in such a hell of an abortion, where would you get Ravel, Debussy, uh, beautiful music, loving kindness, charity, all the, all the things that make us feel a little bit heavenly or uh, suggest a heavenly or a greater good, um, well, the Gnostics would say these. Are, this is the essence of Sophia trapped everywhere. There is holiness. The world is holy because of the sparks of Sophia that are everywhere. Yes, I think. I think that. I think that individual souls are definitely uh, uh, divorce themselves from the Unus Mundus, yeah. but they are not in reality. You only have to show them that they're part of it, and then they experience what we commonly call repentance, and say, "Well." My life does matter to God. I cannot live as if I'm not uh, part of the whole thing. And that's waking people up, isn't it? So I think that awakening, yes, in, in, to the mind which has separated itself from, from spiritual truth, the world is indeed divorced. The material world is indeed separate. Uh, but to the mind that has, has, has awoken, you realize all these things work together. No. You know, and that this material world, such as it is, as in the process of alchemy, man can effect, you know, this is our best hope, isn't it? That despite this ugly universe we live in, seems to be full of smelly gas. I, I mean, when I, was, when I was a child, I looked at the universe and I experienced awe, wonder and, 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 and infinite divine sort of identity. Uh, as I got older and the scientists started to tell me that it's all about black holes and crashing asteroids and cosmic dark energy, <laughs> dark energy, cosmic dust. Straight I mean, out of Star Wars. Yeah. Straight, yeah so <laughs> the, 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 the new conception of the universe seems to me to be like a, 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 a the new Batman movie. You know, it's a just, it's dystopian, it's dystopian universe. And, and the, <laughs> The pleasure and the wonder. I don't know if NASA realized that they're actually <laughs> preaching 
a kind of negative gospel. The yeah. more pictures I Nihilism. see, yeah, the more I see of the Hubble telescope and the new the new telescopes, the more sickening I feel, and I, the more slightly tempted I am towards to go with the apocryphon of John. <laughs> That the whole thing's a bloody disaster, and we are we are we are, we are strangling and, and and drowning in a in a great abortion of, of matter. It's it's pretty horrendous. Tobias uh, is going to get on a TARDIS, go back in time, open the door, and tell the Sethians, "You were right. You were right." <laughs> I'm, I'm saying if we if we had accepted the view of our uh, of the of the of the image, but I would say beware of the image. There may be more to this reality that they simply remote science is only quanti quantitative knowledge what yeah. is measurable there may be something in all this what appears to my mind to be profoundly ugly uh and smelly i mean all that methane for god's sake every every time they find another planet it's, it seems to produce nothing but shit you know it's it's, <laughs> it's not it's not exactly divine is it you know it doesn't doesn't you know, would God make all this methane? For goodness sake, I mean, it's a, a vast cow puking over the place. Even the universe the, is God's toilet, huh? He's just dropping I, I, I can't understand why so many scientists who do these dreadful documentaries about the universe, you know, it's great. It's so big. It's so infinite. It's so, it's so colorful. And then you think, oh, God. What are you, oh, you're, you're talking about a huge toilet. <laughs> you know what encapsulates this perfectly? Monty Python's The Universe Song. <laughs> yes, <that>? exactly. <laughs> exactly, that. That. <laughs> well, exactly right. And I think that is a very Gnostic song, by the way. Totally. Because there has to come a point where we say, oh, for Christ's sake, I am not going to be belittled by this bloody Goliath. I may be David, but I'm not going to be belittled by the Goliath of the infinite fucking universe. You know? I'm not having this. Matt, if man is only, you know, the speck in the ultimate 10th tenth, tenth degree, well, sod it. We're still man and the universe is dead and smelly, so bollocks to it. <laughs> but I well, think well, as, as I think uh, a Gnostic priestess, I think she might be from Salima, but she had a great line and she said, Gnostics didn't hate the world. They hated our per they hated false worlds. In other words, our perception is what's wrong. Like the gospel of truth says or the gospel of thomas we've gotten warped and if we would just clear ourselves and look behind the veil we'll see eden all around us the kingdom of the father i i i strongly believe that is a, a healthier uh, road to take because the more materialism i get through the so-called science and the media uh, yeah. the less the less there is to believe in anything you know it's the same the media works like a magnifying glass it makes things that are actually very small look very big if you keep portraying uh, vladimir putin or biden or anybody any, anybody pop stars uh, the kardashians what the hell if you make them big by projecting them and magnifying them on a screen you have distorted the reality because they're not big they're just people like other people you pass in the street they're no different at all the first thing my dad told, taught me was, you know, uh, you're the equal of anyone unless you don't think so. Mm. Well and, uh, you know, eventually you'll realize you may be more than that. But you have to find it within you. Yeah, it, it is the image of it's the image of the universe that the I think the, the profound agnostics were talking about, that we are ensla enslaved by a kind of image. 
And uh, I get that what, looking at um, Andy Warhol's very interesting um, screen mm -hmm. pictures of Elizabeth Taylor, where he, he realized that the world was creating icons which had no religious value, but in fact have a kind of pseudo-religious value. Our movie stars, our pop stars, etc., have become the icon, i.e. The, the, the window into eternity. An icon is not as the media constantly for it, simply an image. Uh, they keep saying this is iconic. Why don't they just say this is a famous picture? It's a fa that's what they call It's not an icon. An icon, by its nature, in in Russian religious art, was a window to a greater reality and a spiritual eternal. And you had to contemplate. If you contemplated the image of a saint, you were supposed to make contact with a heavenly reality. That's what an icon is. Uh, I'm sorry, a picture of Sean Penn or Madonna or something is not a bloody icon. It's, it's just an image, you know. Uh, <laughs> they need to read their Jean-Luc Godard, you know. It's not, an, it's not an image. It's not a just image. It's just an image, you know. And uh, we, we become enslaved to, to the image. And as, as my reading of the Old Testament goes, the, way, the main complaint of the prophets was image-making. It was confusing an image of something with reality. In other words, if you erected a totem and called it God, the ignorant people worshipped the piece of wood. Yep. The smart ones knew it was just a piece of wood, right? The priests knew perfectly well. That's what it was. In fact, Zosai, bring this back to the point. Yeah, you don't like statues. Zosimus of Panopolis says absolutely clearly, he said, the priests in the temples of Egypt... And it's odd because some writers have suggested Sir Simus was a priest. I don't think there's any any suggestion of it. Uh, he said the priests used this alchemical knowledge to dupe people to worshipping the demons. Mm. And it's very interesting. Quite different, actually, to the Corpus Hermeticum concept of the, the, the drawing of demons into images was some great thing. Very interesting. But uh, Tobias... Uh... The Gospel of Philip does say uh, truth did not come into the world naked. naked it came, but in came in types and, types and images. Of, yeah. You must enter through the image to get to the transcendent. Ah, but yes, so, no, through the image. Through the image, okay. You've got to go. You've got to penetrate the image. Uh, if you, if the image is an opaque fact to you, you've missed the point. No, no, the the, the image is just to help us, like the parable, which is a story to help you grasp a deeper truth. Okay, so you have to you have to penetrate the the nature of the of the parable. Same with an image; it's there to it's a starting point. If you end with the image, you end up worshiping <clears throat> the image, and you then become the slave of the image, and that's what's happening to the worldwide population and the young people who are li living in their mobile phone world and can't deal with reality. Very true. Very wise words. Uh, Vance, any questions from the audience or you? I don't know what's um, going on Rumble or Rockfin. I've got to check. Yeah, yeah, no no questions from uh, or activity in Rumble and Rockfin at the moment, but uh, YouTube's uh, uh, very, very live. I don't see any super chats, so uh, not at this time. Um, my question, my questions is, well, I'm just sitting here like absorbing all this as I often do. But uh, so if we have false idols, which you're just talking about, there must be true idols, right? 
<laughs> which is the image when you see through it and it resonates and brings something in your consciousness. That's yeah, well, that, true, that, that's, true that's, that's the, well, the eidolon of God is the universe itself. And if you yeah. look through, if you are in the right uh, frame, uh, in a peaceful, preferably a peaceful setting, but not necessarily so, because God speaks through the earth, wind, uh, earthquake, and fire, as it says. Um, everything is is an optic, an opticon to the divine. If you concentrate on it long enough, but you have to penetrate the opacity. You know what I mean by opacity? It's just yeah. the, the directness of the image. Uh, the pro the problem with our image making is that it's it's flat even when it's three dimensional it's effectively flat but it has even if it's three dimensional uh, even if it's uh, what do we what do we call it now when you use lasers to make it look three dimensional holograph yeah yeah even if, even if you've got a holographic illusion there is nothing behind it you know and and whereas the universe always has something behind it. There's always more to meet than more to, as Shakespeare tells us, you know, there's more to, more to it than meets the eye. The eye, as Blake, William Blake says, is the vegetable eye, records the sensation of vision. It doesn't record the substance. For that, you need the mind. And for that, you have to develop a receptive mind. And yeah, the, the meaning. Yeah. Yes, and the de de development of that uh, is what we should be giving our attention to. Yeah. But so long as we're distracted by the image, we're, we are at the mercy of every advertiser, every every uh, snake oil salesman, well, whether they're in politics or anything else, who want us to be haunted by images. Oh, yeah. Uh, Money itself, right? Well, <laughs> One of the biggest one. illusions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it is. It, it is all illusion. Now, our, our society is built on the capacity to deceive as many people as possible at any any particular time, but please don't uh, fall for the, the the intermediate interpretation of that, which is the Trumpite view. You know that uh, Washington's trying to deceive you, and uh, he has the truth. You know, <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, if I was looking for spiritual truth, man, I wouldn't I wouldn't be uh, looking in that direction. Uh, well, I always say politics is the art of promising one piece of high to many people. <laughs> all you, all you, all you're buying into is what you have already, and that's the joke of it. They, they have nothing to sell you but yourself, and when you're sold, you're finished. Yeah, the government is one of the greatest illusions we've created. It's all in our head. It, it really but doesn't we, exist. Well, I, I wouldn't go that. I, I, I wouldn't go that far, Miguel. But you may be more profound than I in this. In ultimate terms, you're absolutely right. Of course, in terms of ultimate values, that's absolutely right. These are all, uh, you know, ciphers of one kind or another. But I, I, I do cherish the view that what happens in our lives does does have some value. That's a personal faith. Uh, I don't. I don't think we can just turn our back on it personally and, and say yeah. well, we, we have to fight for the truth too. Um, what, what more can I say on that, on that subject? Alchemy oh. was what we're here to talk about. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. She well, blinded me with alchemy. 
<laughs> well, we could bring mysticism into it. I mean, the big M mysticism where, you know, certain people recognize that the conscious, there's one consciousness and so forth. And I wonder, way back then, even during the early alchemical periods, there must have been some people who had that revelation as well, if, if, it, if it's at all valid. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I suspect that our Yeshua ben Yosef, commonly known as Jesus Christ, was... Uh, Knew, knew something about this. After all, according to the oh, story, yeah. story his, his father took him to Egypt to get away from Herod. Now, why Egypt at that point? Because Herod got on quite well with the, uh, the Egyptian um, uh, um, political regime at the time. But my guess is he was probably taken. A lot of people... Do. Well, that's another thing I found researching my next book was that there was a temple, Egyptian te uh, a Jewish temple, in the Nile Delta, and I don't mean a synagogue, I mean a temple, a, a, effectively an alternative to Jerusalem. Uh, it lasted for nearly 300 years. It was, wow. uh, the ruins The ruins and site have been found at uh, Al Yahudie in, in the Nile Delta. And it was founded by a, a, a priest, a high, the high priest of Jerusalem, who was ejected uh, in a, coup in the favor of the Syrian Greeks mm. in, in the second century BC, and he went and founded a temple. Josephus writes about it in three parts of, of his books, and it was destroyed by the Romans in about 73 AD, I think shortly before Masada. But there it was. I, I think there was, there was another Jewish temple. Now, the place of that temple, I, I, I'm speculating, had a very deep effect on the promulgation of the Book of Enoch, um, which is in my next book. Uh, but I, I think that the Jewish presence in Egypt is critical to the development of, of, of alchemy in the, in the first century BC and the subsequent centuries. Oh, yeah, very much. That's the, my next question uh, to sort of bat around, but uh, is the stew that happened in Egypt, because, you know, obviously, Zosimos is drawing from all these traditions. We know that the Corpus Hermeticum is indebted to the book of Genesis, but, and I like how you talk, you call it the Judo-Egyptian or the Greco-Egyptian, this amazing, I would say, one movement or constellation where where Neoplatonism and Gnosticism and Hermeticism have this Venn diagram. And I, I call them the spiritual off-worlders, whether it's Jews taking their chariots or Gnostics and their flights through the spheres or uh, Plotinus standing in front of the one. It was a very dedicated uh, movement. And uh, it goes to my question, and what do you think? Because when people are trying to figure out the origins of Gnosticism, I'm always like, that's another he uh, red herring. That's the wrong question because Gnosticism never started. It was all part of this continuation of the Egyptian mysteries that sort of, you know, kind of had different uh, avatars, Neoplatonism, Hermeticism, Christian Gnosticism. What do you think about that? It's really the Egyptian priests who might have been going out of style or crushed by the Romans decided we're passing this on to the next generation, but... Nothing began and nothing ended. I, th I think uh, religious movements tend to start out of external, begin from external pressures, which create in internal pressures and reactions within the indigenous host. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that the, the, the familiar um, uh, 
types, tropes of, not, of the, what we call Gnosticism um, come out of pressure uh, which is brought to bear on indigenous beliefs in both in Syria, uh, uh, Palestine, and in Egypt. And it's a way of justifying a belief when beset by philosophical questions which hitherto had been su either suppressed or not familiar. So you get a development. So it's quite obvious that the Gnostic itinerary is syncretic, highly syncretic. There are, you can feel within the Gnostic writings that there's a, that you have the presence of a, of a traditional uh, Egyptian belief in a magical universe. Uh, but it's being it's under pressure from a, a, a I think a, especially a Greek criticism about the nature of the moral value of that universe for individuals. I think that's that's coming from the Greek element, but I think it's also coming from the Jewish element, where you have the idea of the personal God. Right. Now, in 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 the Gnostic, um, especially the extreme radical Gnostic thing, you've got a you've got a rejection of the personal God, or rather a replacement of it. The personal God becomes the individual, but the source of the individual's divinity is then thrust into an alien situation, which is a projection of the alienation of the individual in a, a hostile world. Now, what made people feel it was a hostile world? I think people felt it was a hostile world because their traditional values had been violated by the invasion. And I think the invasions which really count were the invasions of the uh, Ptolemies into, into Israel. And then the, the same thing happens to Egypt, is they're invaded by the Romans. And I don't think, I don't think there's any doubt that it's the, it's the idea of an alien force alienating people from their traditional beliefs that produces these philosophical um, developments. Uh, the, the, you know, where, where there's... Because one of the things about the early Gnostic radicals is their rejection of their own past, uh, which you often find when, uh, when a, a new generation is coping with an invading force. They don't want to look back to what their parents believe. They're trying to grasp something new. But, but it's quite obvious to me that the, the, the real critical thing is Christianity. It's dropping that tincture of Christianity, the idea of the redeemer figure who has come to this earth to show a way to heaven, that kind of crystallizes all this rebelliousness and, 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 and leads a few people like Valentinus to create a, um, a pictorial philosophy of how the universe could have got this state and what the way out of it is. Uh, it is a huge step. I mean, Hans Jonas, who I, I met on several occasions, mm -hmm. regarded the Gnostic phenomenon as the first ever time in history that we know where human beings felt alienated from nature itself. And he said it was a world historical event. And he saw it because he was trained under Heidegger at Marburg University in Germany. He, he, he saw it as the first existentialist rebellion. It's man saying, oh, hell, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, I it, rather all religion before had been to justify the acts of nature as being the projections of God's of God or God or the God's will, 
And the Gnostics are saying, no, 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 we are in some weird way superior to all these natural forces uh, because we can see that they are blind. They are without moral value. The flood and the wind and the earthquake come without any moral force. Rather different to the Old Testament view, which is God sends the Assyrians, God sends the earthquake, God sends the rains, God sends the punishments on the Egyptians. And in, in, the, in this Gnostic ambience, they're saying those things are completely alien to us. We're not from that world. What are we doing here? You know, we don't belong in this world. Now, that, that's the radical Gnostic situation. They, they alienate themselves from the world. Now, in that same cooking pot of ideas, in the crisis of Roman domination of the world, you also have the hermetic view, which is, of course, as we all know, much more ameliorative. Um, the, the body may be uh, separate from the world. Uh, it, sorry, the, 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 the spirit may be separate from the world, but the body is very much wrapped up in it. And anyway, the world is, has, has divinity in it, if we could but see it. You know, and those are two very different views, but they sort of, in the great late antique package which we've inherited, they're all bound up together, which has created a lot of problems for trying to define these things. Uh, but they were all part, all part of the same world. It was a confused era. And if you look at the politics of that era, you can see the, the, the enormous confusion. In fact, I, I still think one of the, the great problems of trying to understand our origins of our religion is that it was born out of confusion. Out of chaos. <laughs> out, of, out, out of chaos and, and, and tragedy, despairs, and, and all the rest of it. But I still have the view, by the way, that the, uh, the main Gnostic writings, like you mentioned the Gospel of Philip, Gospel of Thomas, Apocryphon of John, I, I still think they came from a very small number of people, mostly in Upper Egypt, I suspect. And I think it was, they were like the Monty Pythons of their time. I think they were very smart cookies, but they were very, <laughs> I don't believe they were a great... The, the idea of a Gnostic movement, I don't accept. I think, I think this was actually... Uh, cooked up by some smart smart guys well as you write in your book uh there were probably hermetic lodge. <laughs> there were hermetic lodges as april deconic there were probably different just lots of lodges just like alchemical shops and you showed up you learned you had an experience and then off you go to, yeah, you know, do whatever. Why, why couldn't they have been like us? You know, in the sixties yeah. and seventies, with a, you know, was there, was there a spirit of rel relative relative anarchy abroad? Was was there actually an explosion of humor? You can't tell me you could you could write the Gnostic books without a sense of humor. The I satire mean, and parody, for sure. They, they are them. they are they are satirical. I mean, they're taking on the big issues of of, of conventional religion and trying to make nonsense of them. I mean, that's the, they're, they're still subversive for that characteristic. Um, different kind of subversion to the letters of St. Paul, for example. Uh, St. Paul's letters in the end would turned out to be more explosive, but they only won their victory by succumbing to what it was they were complaining about. <laughs> you know, the, 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 what you ended up with was the Catholic compromise. We, we, you, in, you inherit the Roman Empire, you 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 can be the priest who crowns the emperor, but you cannot be the emperor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, today in our circles, yeah, we can use words like archon and demiurge and all that, but 
Forget Archon was a position of Roman authority. The Demiurge yeah, was a holy Torah, being. Yeah. yeah, the Demiurge was considered a benign being, and the Gnostics turned that up. Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain and Abel, they were just turning things around and creating these uh, parodies of all these religions. Was, well, uh, the Gospel of John is the most radical book, I think, of all time. Uh, when Jesus says, you know, now is the prince of this world cast out, and the word for prince in, in Greek is archon. Right. Now is the archon of the world cast out. So anyone living under an oppressive regime would read that as saying, well, there is a spiritual power which is going to see off this Roman Empire. You could argue that the Roman Empire has never been seen off. It's just metamorphosed. <laughs> right. The empire never ended, as Philip The empire did. strikes Philip. back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always striking back. Oh, Jesus. The empire makes it into Disney. <laughs> yeah. And, Disney I mean, is ult- the empire. Ultimately, I believe we're heading towards a position where nobody will know that the empire is running everything. Uh, there will be no way of knowing it because everybody's reality will be the empire. Fragmented. Yeah. And then we'll have new Gnostics you know, who are going to be sent to Siberia or, or vaporized. <laughs> yeah. Again, nothing has changed. Uh, beware, so... beware of artificial intelligence. The real thing is dangerous enough, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> once you speed it up, that's it. <laughs> No, we are, we are, you know, the, 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 the old conflict between the, the, the free spirit and, and the nature of the world is, is sadly a live issue. Uh, the Christian gospel tells you that all this was settled uh, remarkably at Golgotha in 37 AD, as I would date it. Uh, I, I think not. Uh, I, I don't think Jesus' um, um, uh, ministry was the success that Paul tried to make it into. Um, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad we have the credible legacy of a challenge to the power of the world that you get in the Christian message if you perceive it uh, historically and with with due, 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 due humility and don't become a bigot uh, and so on. But I, I'm very glad of it. But was it a success? No. Uh, and that's why, you know, otherwise we wouldn't be having this discussion, would we? We would be strumming our lyre in adoration of the one. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was a success only on a spiritual level because um, it did carry forth the, uh, the the golden rule type, you know, which is really mystical. As I say, we, we have everything to thank the legacy yeah. of it, but but was it was it the wrapping up of the old world and the destruction no. the destruction of evil? Certainly not in the material world, right? Where is that third temple, right? Where is the temple in Jerusalem that was going to be rebuilt? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably in Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will owe nothing, and you will be happy. That is our commandment. Very, very cool. So as we get to the end, Tobias, what else do you want your reader to get out of your book beyond what all authors want is the truth? Because, again, you do talk about medieval alchemy, enlightenment alchemy. You talk about some of the all the great figures. I'm telling this for the listener. He's got all the great figures from uh, 
from Bemet to Albertus Magnus to all these figures and basically the arc of alchemy. Is alchemy important today? Well, no, we, 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 are, we are drenched in uh, metallurgical chemistry. You can't step into your car without seeing the development of plastics and polymers and uh, our entire uh, industrial process is a fulfillment of Zosimus's belief that this knowledge mm. would transform the world and create huge fortunes for those who knew it. Alchemy is not in, in any way dead. Uh, it's still turning lead into gold. Uh, anyone who pays, you know, over the odds for a car has turned uh, base, <laughs> base, base metal into somebody else's gold. You know, your your your, your cents and your dollars, you know, uh, add up to massive fortunes in Detroit, the Detroit Archons, you know, and so. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention yeah. the illicit drug trade. I mean, talk about turning a few dollars of chemicals into millions and billions of dollars. Exactly. Yeah, uh, breaking uh, bad, uh, cooking. Don't let, don't let anyone tell you alchemy is some remote subject uh, uh, of his, history or theology. Absolutely not. Al alchemy is the trick that, that, that capital uh, uh, embraced the, mom the moment they saw the buck. You know, that was always in it. Uh, they also have to contend with the fact that they're, car that they're carrying dynamite of another, of, of another dimension. But it only, it only requires people to see that and, and you'll start to, you know, you can then challenge your, your archons. But it can be spiritual, do you think? I mean, for example, Tobias, I live close to the yeah, Theosophical sorry. Society in Wheaton, and I know people who actually do you know, traditional alchemy over at the Theosophical Society with the, you know, marry the Jewish and all that stuff. And yeah, why they not? feel at the end, they feel uh, enlightened, released. I'm very happy for them. <laughs> that's a ritual though, right? It's just like a ritual does have value. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's what I, you know, it's like performing the plays of Shakespeare without understanding them, isn't it? Yeah, that is true. Yeah, you yeah. know the whole full context. Good point. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, we need new Shakespeare's and new alchemists. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't like um, historical reconstructionism as a, as a kind of. <clears throat> I, I think now, now is the time. You know, I mean, I, I, that's why any true Gnostic today cannot possibly avoid the concentration of thought from time to time on the the beatles uh, i don't care what anybody says i don't care whether you like the rolling stones more or pink floyd more or black <laughs> sabbath more or led zeppelin more or i don't know whoever it is puff daddy whatever it doesn't matter the fact is the beatles were the greatest alchemical phenomenon uh since the second world war without any doubt uh they changed minds <laughs> that's the difference you know, yeah. and the, the alchemy we're looking for is the one that, that releases the spirit, uh, not for five minutes or, you know, ten, that, that actually fundamentally uh, transforms the world. That's what alchemy is about. I mean, it is about transforming the world yeah. at, the, at the highest level. It's about releasing the potential in matter, not becoming enslaved to matter, but underst through understanding, releasing it. It is the it's the art of change. In that sense, it is magical. In, in in by definition, in the true sense of magical, if you you know, the art the art of causing change in conformity with will. Um, 
uh, at the moment, uh, the, the, all the science has been bought up by people who have no interest in spiritual dimension. Uh, that's the yeah. tragedy. And I would want to promulgate the view of Z that Zosimus of Panopolis is the, one of the greatest teachers for our time, because he was saying, you can use this technological knowledge uh, for, to get enslaved to matter, or you can use it for releasing the spirit. Um, you know, one hopes that Jerry Zucker and, and you know, or Elon Musk will have a revelation and, and uh, realize that the powers at their disposal could be used in a considerably better way than projecting their personalities, you know. Well said. I love that. Uh, the potential of matter. That's a great way to uh, go through life. And yes, the Beatles, yeah, without a doubt, so much alchemy. Although I would counter that... Uh, what did John Lennon once say? Before Elvis, there was nothing. When he heard Heartbreak Hotel, John Lennon felt he had finally like been born into the universe. Same with George Harrison. So I, I'm sorry, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to make the ludicrous case that they were messianic in the sense that had an original thing. It was just the, the they were more famous than Jesus, of course. Yeah, alchemy, <laughs> well, they're more popular anyway. More I, popular I, than Jesus. Yeah. yeah well, what I, Elvis was the second yeah. coming. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't want to. No, I, he was talking about the state of British culture, uh, British culture in the early fifties as being very dull, and um, that the entertainment that was on offer was very sort of safe and and controlled, and that's what that's what he meant. Was before it was nothing. Um, he 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 just put that in a you know his usual colourful way, the way I do. Try to try to condense uh, a book into a line. You know. Yeah, yeah. John he, Lennon being colourful now. He should, people shouldn't take his logoi, you know, as, as, <laughs> as, uh, as, as sort of statements from you know God or something. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he, he would, he would, he was. I, was, I think he said in one of his last interviews, do, "Do you really think I go round all day thinking to myself, imagine there's no heaven?" You know, just, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He, did, he wasn't. That's all, he was just. He was what it enthused him at the time. Like any artist, you're enthused. At, at the time, and uh, he wasn't trying to give people a gospel. Uh, the, all it shows is that people are so desperate for a gospel that they'll take anything. Yeah, but then they take it literally, and they, they take it literally because, it and... because they haven't gone through the uh, use a phrase of Ringo Starr's funny enough, the metaphaser. <laughs> they, they, they don't see these things in their true perspective. It's very hard, you know. Uh, there are people who are born with wisdom. There's some people acquire it through hard experience and there's some people who never get it. And there's, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, they don't go through the image into the truth. They don't go through <laughs> the image because it's too, too much like hard work. <laughs> and you got to look inward, which is the hardest thing to do. It's... For sure, for sure. To, the truth about yourself is, is, is always very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. It's much easier to say, "Oh, I'm part of this group, or I support that." What do you, what's your support? You know, what's it mean? you know, who are you? <laughs> well, everybody else is doing it. My family's done it for generations, so I'll really? just do it too. And well, don't upset you, the you, apple cart. In in politics, it means you support the one who's going to charge you less tax. You know? 
There you go. <laughs> I saw a Facebook quote relevant to this, which is, if you haven't examined your own beliefs, they're probably somebody else's. <laughs> I, I had a good one from Oscar Wilde the other day. It was, uh, you know, be yourself because all the others are taken. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, too. Brilliant. Great. Awesome. Well, we are at the end. Uh, first Whoa. of all, uh, Not already. I guess uh, Tobias, the usual people can find your book at the usual suspects. Uh, I'll have it on the show notes, a link to your book. Uh, Tobias Churton, I'll have your website. Anywhere else you want to send people? Uh, Alcatraz. <laughs> I've <laughs> been there. Down. I, spent, down. No, I, no, I spent a weekend there. <laughs> all right. I, yeah, they have a special program uh, through the forest, uh, you know, forestry. Yeah. No, no, I, I meant go and have a look what they used to do to people. Oh. <laughs> you know, and uh, they ain't gonna get out of here. No. Nope. Think about it. Yeah. Maybe Earth is Earth is an Alcatraz. Well, <laughs> I, I'd prefer this one to that one. Let's put it up. Yeah. <laughs> As above, so below. Yeah. <laughs> And what is your next book? Can you tease a little bit more? We've got uh, Acts of the Apostles, Jewish Temples. This is quite a mystery. Well, I, a murder, I, hopefully a murder mystery. It's, it's, <laughs> full, it's, it's full of that kind of stuff. It's, it's uh, the complete book on the Book of Enoch. The, oh, the, wow. the, book of Enoch. The, the missing book of the Bible. It really should. Yes. It, is the only, it is the only book quoted in the Bible that is not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Religious Fair. book, I mean. Oh, you're excited for it, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I thought it was going to be the end. <laughs> I, thought, I often think this. One always, one always, like any drama, you're always looking for the climax, and I thought this is going to be the one, but we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, it's a big, it's a big step. Um, it's, the, the working title was The Amazing Books of Enoch, um, Pioneer of Jewish Mysticism and the Origins of Christianity. I, I want to give it an overall title now, Beyond the Universe. Yeah, well, it's because that theology seems to be so uh, ubiquitous in the Greco-Roman times. You just mentioned Zosimos. He bought into these angels. I mean, we've been talking about Paul. Paul is telling women, cover your faces, not because he's misogynistic, because he's worried that these angels are out there and if they see a woman start to talk, they'll want to rape. So Paul buys into the book of Enoch. It's, yes, that's very good. The secret book of John has its own interpretation of the book. I well, mean, there, it there is so be, ubiquitous. There'd, there'd be no Gnosticism without the book of Enoch. It is, exactly. it, is the, it is the key step. Once, you, once you've said there is a, re, a renegade tribe of uh, heavenly creatures at large in the world, you've, that's, your, that's your starting point. Uh, it's the starting point of the whole concept of demonology, mm -hmm. the whole essence of, 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 of uh, the idea of being redeemed from demons or demonic control. It goes back to this incredible text, which the Epistle of Jude quotes from as authoritative prophecy. It is the most important book in the formation of the Christian religion and Second Temple Judaism. And it has been very much suppressed. Well, it disappeared for nearly 2,000 years. There was yeah. no copy known between the late Roman Empire and 17, uh, 1793, when James Bruce brought a copy back from Ethiopia in right. the, Ge the Ge'ez language. 
it it's a book that will blow minds. So. Yeah, and I can't wait to yeah, I can't wait to read. Well, it. your mind's yeah. already blown, Miguel. So you don't worry about it. <laughs> you to you it will be ambrosia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I even did a small presentation, and people wonder well, why did it get uh, suppressed. It's simple that the Book of Enoch shows us that the adults are not in charge, that uh, <laughs> Jehovah is not in he's not a good CEO. He's letting management just run around raping women and giving away trade secrets like science to the customer and all that. As simple as that. Islam, Judaism, and Christina could not handle that Jehovah was not a good CEO. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it throws it all open. And um, I approach it in my normal way, which is I, I, I accept what I'm looking at. And... Uh, bring what i know to, to bear in exposure of it i don't i don't i don't start with a, with a you know a doctrine or something i'm trying to promote or something i'm trying to suppress i'm i'm fast i'm interested i investigate i want to know what the truth is i'm that's all, that's the whole approach to everything i do yeah follow the data and see what these ancients are telling us so yeah yeah and and you know be aware of other data as well you know yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, we look forward to that book, and uh, this has been a great chat. I, I think this has been some good comments there in the chat room. People batting around great ideas. Oh, so, yeah. thank you very much. Thanks for being here. Please support the show. More great shows coming. Ironically, or synchronistically, we'll be having a show on the Gospel of Thomas, show on chaos magic, and a lot of other very good topics. So first I'll say, Vance, thanks for being here and keeping us company. Always delightful. Tobias, it's great hanging out with you. You too, Vance. You really taught me something about alchemy. I've been, always been confused about it, and now I'm a little bit less confused. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. That's what, all we're trying to do. Exactly, exactly. Light in the darkness. There you go. Candle of light of meaning in the darkness of mere being, as uh, Jung said famously. Well, Tobias, as always, yes, I agree. It's always great to talk to you, and thanks for coming on the show, as always. And, yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. Shall I turn off? (laughs) Bye-bye. Yes, to everybody, have a good good, uh, weekend and good holidays, and we'll be talking soon. Take care, everybody.